Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, the podcast that covers horror movie franchises, one film and one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, and this week we are back to wrap up our look at the Orphan movies with a deep dive into the delightful and unexpected treat from this past summer, the absolutely bug nuts shouldn't exist and might be an abomination against God and man, but I'm glad it's here anyways, Orphan First Kill. I'm not alone. Let's welcome up one of our regular co-hosts and the co-host of the Spectral Cinema Club, Devon Taylor. Devon, how are we? Hello, hello. It's a boys' day. It's a boys' day talking talking a queen today. I have today. hung the no girls allowed sign outside of the door right now. It is a boys' club, so... And you and you painted it with glow with glow oh, paint and there's a black yep, light above absolutely. it. Absolutely. We were just talking painting off air here and how ridiculous it is that my wife wants me to have someone professionally paint the room that I'm in right now, but we'll leave that aside. Devon, as we record this, it was Thanksgiving holiday, so I have to ask, how was your holiday? It was good. It was good. Um I I played it pretty low key. My uh, so one my movie tradition is um uh, is Blood Rage mm-hmm. of course uh, we we don't have many true Thanksgiving horror movies and uh, I'm glad we have Blood Rage because it's incredible and what I typically do is I put it on a loop for oh, the wow. day or like or or I'll like just like see how many times I can watch it mm-hmm. within the day. Uh, last year I watched it like three Jeez. or four times. Um, because I like watched it like twice myself, forced some friends to watch it, then put it on at the bar. And are um, you in <laughs> like various states of inebriate inebriation as this goes on, where it just gets to the point where you couldn't turn it off if you wanted to? Uh, mm-hmm. pretty much. Uh, which which is always fun. I only watched it the once this year. Uh, while I was cooking, while I was super mm-hmm. hungover. Um. The, the past few days have been a blur between Thanksgiving Eve, which is, you know, a, uh, a crazy night for all bartenders. And then uh, and then going into a, a pretty, pretty chill and relaxed no. Thanksgiving, though, had a had a dinner with some uh, some L.A. found mm-hmm. family, if you will. Uh, it, it is it was actually very stereotypical, like L.A. bohemian mm-hmm. uh, dinner. It's always, you know, different people, different backgrounds, transplants. It's a lot of uh older theater people from LA uh which is cool they're they're a really cool group in that um you know they're not like the uh the like kind of jaded yeah. old heads they're like very ex- they're the ones that are like very excited about the youth and so they like love asking me things and uh giving me uh, uh wisdom that uh, sounds really, really fun great. what is served up at a more bohemian thanksgiving what I noticed is uh, is we just have a, a, a more variety of like you know backgrounds like a you know it's not just a all typical like American uh, you know mm-hmm. Thanksgiving dishes like 
uh, people had some like, uh, you know, plays on it with some like Spanish rice dishes yesterday with like homemade chorizo and like some, and, uh, and, uh, all the, and the desserts too on the desserts, like people had like four different countries covered. It was pretty cool. That sounds really nice. We just had a more traditional, like get the big extended family together at one of the relatives houses, which it's the first time we've done it since 2019. And, you know, I, you know, it was nice to say, I kind of prefer the smaller gatherings, but it was nice to kind of see everyone after a long time. It was just odd because we're seeing a lot of their children and a lot of these kids were either seeing for the first time or we haven't seen Mm -hmm. them in three years. So there was a lot of like, hey, you, how are you doing? It's, you know, just trying to remember like I was talking to my cousin. He's like, I don't remember your sister's kids' names. I'm like, I don't blame you, dude. I absolutely <laughs> do not blame you. Like, I'm not sure what kid belongs to who at this point. So there, there's nothing more intimidating than interacting with a baby that doesn't mm-hmm. know you. <laughs> and and you have to, like, act like, you're like, well, I know you. Like, I know of you. And mm-hmm. the baby's just like, uh, it's, yeah. it's always hilarious. I was trying to tell my cousin's kid about how much trouble he used to get me in growing up. And she couldn't care less about anything I had to say. She was like, right, how long do I have to stand here and humor you before I walk off? Because it's rude because you're old. So good for her. T- t- take a shot anytime uh, you hear somebody go, uh, have to explain to a kid, hey, this is your cousin, or hey, this is your uncle. <laughs> like, like I get them. in trouble because I'll say things like when the kids are all playing in the yard, like, oh, they got to be careful and not run in the street. I'm like, well, if we lose one, that's not too bad. Like, law of averages say losing one, we're okay. And everyone just looks at me absolutely horrified. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why would you say something like that? Hey, that's the that's my that's my secret to being good with kids. I just talk to them mm-hmm. like normal people. Like I don't like I, I like I totally just ignore mm-hmm. the fact that they are kids, and I talk to them how I talk to like literally everyone else. I've offered. I usually will bribe kids to do stuff that will get them in trouble. I'm like, like to my nephew, I'm like, I will pay you ten dollars if you can teach your dog to bite grandma on the bottom every time you command it. And he is. I feel in. like that's a, a. I feel like that's typical Uncle mm-hmm. Mike uh, behavior. Everyone has an Uncle yep. Mike that rhymes them yes. into doing bad. I had an Uncle Mike that that <laughs> did that. I had an Uncle Mike that got like would take me to bars at age five. Like absolutely. Yeah. Yep, back in yep. the day. Typical my Uncle so, Mike behavior. Yeah, sounds about right. All right. So we are here today. We're gonna shift gears a little bit. Uh, although I feel like we could do a whole episode on this topic. Um, we, you know, this is one of the newest movies we've covered. Although, like, this year, we've covered The New Scream, Halloween Ends, now Orphan First Kill, The New Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, for a show that deals with the oldies, like, we're getting a lot of current movies in 2022. We're going to keep this section briefer than normal because it's so new. But let's give let's tip our hand a little bit and talk about our initial thoughts on Orphan First Kill. Devon, what's your first impression of this movie? I mean, I think I had the desired reaction that they wanted, which was, why is this movie being made? 
and and I hadn't seen Orphan. I knew of I knew about Orphan. Um, my I remember my sisters and my mom. They really love Orphan because uh, they they call my youngest sister Esther okay. all the time because my youngest sister is a mm-hmm. fucking maniac. Um, and uh, but I had never watched it. So when I heard that this was coming out, and I was like, "Wait, they're doing a prequel," and I already know the twist of the first one. So like, how are they gonna make? all this works. So I was like, all right, let me watch orphan. And uh, you know, I dug it. Uh, didn't listen to your guys episode yet, but, uh, I, but I dug orphan. I was like, all right, I see the appeal. Like she's pretty dope. Uh, this is fun. Uh, it's weird and horny. And then, and, but then this one, I was just like, you, I don't know how you guys did it, but you did it. You sons of bitches. Like it's, uh, you know, prequels are so hard. Like they are so hard. Uh, when you know, you know, the outcome of certain things, uh, you know certain information already. So, like, sometimes a lot of prequels are, like, typically they're like, this is fine, but did mm-hmm. I need this? And this one, what I think is definitely needed because, one, it just, uh, you know, further cements Esther's, you know, legacy as a horror icon. Like, you know, I knew, uh, I knew people would throw her name out a lot for the first one. But, like, it wasn't like, you know, like, oh, she's a she's a big star. Like, everybody, she was kind of like the Damien ripoff. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I assumed. I always thought that she was, like, linked to something religious. But uh, definitely not. And uh, so I, and, I think you can, and, and I you can get this. that impression looking at how she dresses because she has that yeah, prim and proper yeah. like she has that school marm look basically yeah and then so so i don't know and but this one you know it, it cements her legacy um but it does add uh just a lot more depth to the to the character because even though the you know twist of the first one's fun uh she's kind of you know a uh, kind of one note character like you know she's very cold calculated in that one and there's not much to her, you know, besides just like watching her just like, you know, torment this family, uh, which is fun and it's great. But in this one, it's like we get to know her a little bit more. And I've seen, you know, people um, critique this saying like, oh, they make her the hero. And it's like, no, she's not a hero. She's still a murderer and evil and manipulating. Uh, but it's just like she's just not pure evil yet. Or this is how she becomes you know, just like that cold, pure evil that we see. Like, we see a shred of humanity here, but but just enough to, to get you on her side because she is, like, the true protagonist of the of the film. Um, and, yeah, and I, this is, you know, everybody is saying that Barbarians this year is malignant. No, 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 no. It's it, it's Orphan First Kill. Like, this is the, the, the same energy. And uh, it just, like, it, it was so fun. It was so exciting. And just, you know, with your expectations so low, it was just like you know, like the you know, it would be hard for the movie to like almost fuck mm-hmm. it up. But at the same time, they just really knock yeah. it out of the park. So I'm excited to get into this one. I'm a I'm an Esther convert. Like I'm she she's an icon. Yeah, I I really enjoyed this movie, and I managed to not be spoiled live spoiled by it. And I love the first Orphan movie. I just find it so much fun. And I love it when horror movies like go out on a limb and give you the unexpected. And I think that's been a recurring theme this year with a lot of the releases we're seeing between this, between um, Barbarian, like those are two of the bigger movies. Even, you know, Halloween Ends might, I've said this before, it might be the worst movie of the year, but it's one of the most fun movies to talk about. And it's a fascinating 
movie to watch and digest just because there's so much there. And that's not even digging into the amazing plethora of like indie movies that are either playing the festival circuit or have been picked up for streaming, you know, things like a wounded fawn harbinger, um, something in the dirt. Like you're getting these really cool, bizarre little movies this year. And I love when horror does that. Um, it would have been really easy to rehash the first movie and I think there would have been a lot of goodwill from fans just given the fact that Isabel Furman returned to the role. Like, if you just mm-hmm. made Orphan 2 and it was, like, very similar to the first movie, you... Be like, cool, yeah, more Esther. we would have enjoyed right. it. Um, yeah. But the fact that it goes in these unexpected directions is, is extremely welcome. And one thing you just said there, Devon, that made me think, like you were saying how this is watching Esther become Esther. Like in some ways, like this is kind of the casino Royale of, uh, orphan mm-hmm. movies in that, you know, <laughs> you see, uh, bond becoming bond, like, and also Esther gets her heart broken when, uh, she mm-hmm. inadvertently tosses Alan off the roof. Like Alan is her Vesper Lind played by Eva green in, casino royale and now she's just going to go through like a series of daddies never to know true love Mm. so you know there's a little tip of the cap uh to that movie as well so i love that comparison actually and we can and we'll get more into that i think so i actually love that comparison. so let's talk really briefly about the background here in our first episode we talked about the real life Esther story or the true story behind Orphan when there was a uh, woman Barbara Skrlova an adult woman posing as a 13 year old that was adopted quote unquote by two sisters and it's a pretty awful story like the three of them went on to basically horrifically abuse these two young boys that they kept locked in the pantry closet under the stairs And when the older women were arrested, Skrlova was able to basically make off uh, and get away from the authorities. Like they assumed that she was this 13 year old girl and just basically brought her to a foster home, not knowing that she was an adult woman. It's a bizarre story. So that inspired the first movie and another in a case of like a Mm. snake eating its own tail this is the this is part. crazier oh in that like this case looks like it was inspired by the movie Orphan, which then inspired the movie Orphan First Kill. So there's this was this couple, Michael and Christine Barnett. They adopted what they believe to be a six year old girl, Natalia Grace, from the Ukraine in 2010. Grace had a diagnosis of spondyla oh boy basically she had a rare form of dwarfism i'm not going to try to pronounce this even though i phonetically spelled it out because wow she had a rare form of dwarfism that even made it hard for her to walk um she had been in the united states for about two years prior to the adoption um and she had been adopted previously but given up by the adoptive family and back in the foster care system So that might have been a red flag. And it's actually something we talked about in the first episode. Yeah. The Bennett's, after adopting Natalia, 
claimed they came to see her as a threat. Um, Christine made claims that she would find Natalia standing over the couple as they slept, that Natalia would make threats against them, and both of them claimed that they once saw her pour bleach into their coffee once. Christine claimed that Natalia would draw pictures of herself murdering the family, and they eventually had to hide all of the sharp objects. In 2012, they changed That's... Natalia's age on her birth certificate to uh, 22. And they rented Natalia her own apartment, paid rent for a year, and then they upped stakes and basically left the country. Like they were so afraid, they moved to Canada. Kristen, uh, uh, Christine, was it Kristen or Christine? Hold on. Christine, sorry. Christine argued that Natalia was like dangerous, that she was scamming them, and that they were determined she was older than stated after medical tests gave the impression that she had like the dental and bone structure and density of a young woman, that she had a far more advanced vocabulary than a six-year-old girl would have, and that, that she had no interest in any of the toys for girls her age. She's like, after all this, she's like, no way this girl is like, is this young. She's in her 20s and she's crazy. We have to get away from her. In 2014, legal charges were brought against the Bennetts for child abandonment, and when questioned about the case, Christine Bennett answered, the movie Orphan is exactly what happened to us. So there's this... I mean, you, I mean, see, Esther is a true icon. Really? And has literally, uh, literally copycats. Like, that's insane. Truly an icon. To, 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 like, to like, mirror mm -hmm. it, like, almost verbatim. Yeah. Like, in, like, that's so, that's so wild. So... The couple divorced soon after they left um, Natalia behind. Michael has gone on to claim that both he and Christine knew the entire time that Natalia was an adult, but they convinced her to lie about her age. Um, in 2016, Natalia was adopted by another family who has since like changed her um, age back on her birth certificate to, I think she would be like... 16 now thereabouts like basically whatever like saying that she was born in 20 2003 so it would have been like yeah 16 year olds when 16 years old when they would have changed it back um what? it's still kind of up in the air how old this girl actually is but on october 29th of this past year no uh, less than a month ago a jury in lafayette indiana acquitted Michael Bennett of all charges after only two hours of deliberation. Like they were brought up for child abandonment, child abuse, neglect. He was acquitted of all charges and it only took about two hours of deliberation. And I think I read like one of those hours was like, what should we get for lunch? Um, Christine's case is still pending. So there are still some legal entanglements there, but Needless to say, this story is out there in the ether. And Isabel Furman hears about this case and is like, you know, sign me up for another movie at this point. So she brings it to the writer and producer of the first movie, David Leslie Johnson, and says, like, how would you feel about making another one of these? And to which I believe from what I've read, he said, oh, we actually already have a script kind of rolling right now. Let's see how we can make this happen. Um, it gets greenlit 
and William Brent Bell signs on to direct. He is best known for the killer doll movie, The Boy. Um, Early Mm -hmm. on, uh, Furman was only going to produce. Like, she wasn't going to reprise the role of Esther, because obviously, you know, she's supposed to play someone who looks like they're seven or eight years old, and Isabel Furman does not look like an eight-year-old. She looks like a very lovely young woman. Um, so they were going to recast the role, but then they do some screen tests. And Devon, do you have the notes up? Do you want to mm-hmm. read that quote from Isabel Furman, like how they determined they were going to uh, do this? Yeah. So uh, there was a quote and said, if I wasn't involved in an actress up to that point, it was announced because like you said, how are we going to make this happen? It was the million dollar question. But it was really Brent who believed I could play Esther as a 10-year-old that I think was the reason that we made it work. He decided to do a, a screen test, and we did some special effects makeup and different lighting tricks and forced perspective. Uh, and that really, I think, was when everybody started to see themselves that we could actually make this work. I was just so excited to sign back on. I mean, it was just it was a touch or go whether or not it was going to happen. So I'm just really happy we were able to make it work. And I, for one, was happy to make it work, too. We, I love, like, you know, when uh, it, an actor, like, you know, champions the role uh, that they play and, like, really, you know, mm-hmm. go into it. And, like, you know, uh, I loved, uh, follow, like, I, after watching the movie, like, going back and, like, seeing all the behind the mm-hmm. scenes that she was posting was just uh, super, super cool. And you could just see, like, how excited she was about it because, like, it, yes, like, this, this wouldn't happen. Uh, without her and like without that force and like I mean if you guys um, go on her Instagram and see the video she posted on Halloween where she went out as Esther just thinking is, uh, that yep one of the best clips of of Halloween uh, so so go go so look much at that. fun so but, much yeah. fun of her dressed as Esther and just like kind of like dancing it at clubs and having like an absolute blast of a time like she just seems phenomenal like absolutely adore her so yeah yeah and 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 she gets to be collaborative in this as well and and uh and william brent bell as the director was interesting because i didn't realize until like right before i watched i go oh wait this is a guy that did the boy uh but he also did i didn't realize he also did the boy too i thought for how different that one was which i didn't watch it but like from everything that i saw about how different was i thought it was Mm -hmm. like a different director so i was like okay he's trying this prequel thing but then i was like I was worried, but I was like, but wait, maybe he's learned his lesson from that one and like what not to do in a prequel. And then just like brings the the perfect energy and, and you can I, I could feel, you know, that he was a fan of the original as well. Like, you know, and in matching the tone and aesthetics and the, the consistency mm-hmm. between the two of them is quite impressive. See, he's also I've never seen the boy. Um, I've never watched that. So Ooh, the boy it does. Rules. Okay, so maybe I'll throw that on. The boy rules. That might be something I just throw on like over like holiday break, just when I want to take a day to watch a bunch of things I've never seen. Um, he directed a movie that probably made me more angry and upset than anything I've ever watched, <laughs> uh, and that's The Devil Inside. Um, and I don't know if people remember, it was a January 2012 release back when theaters would just like dump whatever they wanted into the cinema or whatever, like they had mm-hmm. left over, you know, it was like, imagine getting like your aunt's ugly 
Christmas sweater and you're like, oh my God, I'm not wearing this sweater with like a light up wreath in it. So you would bring it to Goodwill in January and donate it. That's what movies, what studios used to do. Like, oh, here's all the crap we don't want. Literally could just anything. anything. And it was also a time with like Paramount, like after the success of the first few paranormal activity movies, they at some point were going to do like, oh, we're going to do like a Paramount um, sub studio where we throw like a million or two million bucks at movies and we're going to get these massive returns and investment. Basically what Blumhouse became. It was like what Blumhouse actually it was and is at this point. So they released this movie in 2012, The Devil Inside. It's a found footage exorcist movie, which most of it is actually not bad. If I'm being honest, like a lot of it is really, really good which is what makes the ending so terrible because it ends on a cliffhanger that then sends you to a website. Oh, it's yeah. that movie. Okay. I didn't, I, I, okay. I didn't see mm-hmm. it, but I, I remember hearing about the website thing. I knew, uh, I, I knew him because he also uh, did stay yeah, alive. Which I haven't seen the, uh, the killer video game. It's, I mean, it's 2006 and it is very 2006, but it's also got that uh, uh, a smidge mm-hmm. Dark Castle flavor to it as well. Like he uh, throughout, I mean, the, at least from the films I've seen, he does have a very uh, a consistent energy sure. amongst his films that he has uh, seemed to refine over the years. Uh, because I, I really enjoyed The Boy. The Boy is one of my favorite theater going experiences that I had with some okay. friends and it is uh and, and you can see the parallels between the boy and this but I can't speak for uh the boy so, too. Uh Brahms Brahms What's a better ventriloquist killer doll movie? The Boy or Dead Silence? Um I've only seen Dead Silence once and it was like okay. so long ago. I I barely remember anything i'd about say it. go back and um, rewatch that because it's pretty great okay okay you, you i'll watch dead silence you watch the boy and then we'll uh compare we could do again. this for the new well we know we don't want to let the cat out of the bag for like some bonus stuff we might do in 2023 mm. um all right so needless to say like it's a miracle this movie gets made it's filmed in winnipeg Paramount decides to release it pretty much exclusively on streaming in the United States. It gets a very limited run of like a few hundred theaters for a short period of time, but it gets dumped under their service. I don't want to say dumps because they do put a lot of like effort into developing like it's like every company right now, we all have to have our own streaming service. And we think if the more original content we give you, the more people will sign up. I don't quite know how it all works, but whatever. It's released in August. And I think the immediate reaction is, holy shit, this is A, so much fun. B, it is awesome seeing Julia Stiles in a movie again because she rules. And C, why are we being deprived of seeing this on the big screen in a theater with a whole mess of people. Um, I really wish that this got a big release. And it was funny because Smile was also supposed to be streaming exclusive. And then at the last minute, they put it in theaters. And now it's mm. gone on to make $200 million. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is disappointing. I mean, I, I can see the, I could, I could see the, the hesitation in only that because, like, you know, Orphan, again, like, people, people know it, people like it, but it wasn't like, you know, a huge it hit made or anything. And it's like kind of eighty more of a, million dollars worldwide in okay. I mean, in two thousand nine, for you know, and it made this okay. did thirty seven million mm-hmm. world. We'll talk more about that at the end because that's uh, you know we yeah, gotta we'll move it to right now. This made for ten makes thirty seven. Thirty three of that is from international. So you figure. This would have done forty or fifty million in the states, easy, right? Oh yeah, easily, easily. I mean, I think this would have had. I think this would have had great word of mouth. Um, and I mean, even though yeah, it's been thirteen years, I, I think people would like see it and yeah. at least be curious. But like, I will say, like, it was the hardest selling point that this was a prequel. So like, whenever like, it, as far as like me like making people watch the movie. Uh, like people are like, ah, oh, should I watch it? Like it's a prequel and like, does it even work? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, I'm, just please watch it. Like that, that's all I ask of you is to watch it and then give me your thoughts after. And like, but then once they did, you know, they're in. So it was like, uh, it, 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 and, and I, and I had a thing later in the notes that, um, you know, when, when we kind of talk about the movie itself, the, 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 the cold open, um, uh, you know, of, of, uh, Lena's mm-hmm. escape. I wonder if what if they would have like put that out as like a short film to like draw up some like interest and then like kind of put and then and then like see it because then if they like kind of maybe put that out, get like people thinking of Esther again uh, and kind of buying into them being able to sell the effect of it, then I think then maybe um, then they could have like gotten some good, you know, word of mouth that way and then like put it out in theaters. Did gangbusters, or maybe not because I like the surprise. Let's of talk it about that cold open then. Let's let's shift gears just a little bit, and, and we'll put a pin in pin in the the distribution talk. We'll save it to the end. Um, yeah, I think that would play really smart because that opening at the Sarn Institute kind of plays like its own little short film. Um, it, it, it and, does. Uh, it tricked me like it really fooled me because I thought now I have an obligation right here as a professional and as a mental health counselor, as a licensed counselor. I do have like a professional obligation to say that the depiction of the patients like suffering from mental illness during the opening scenes of the Sarn Institute. It's probably not the kindest. I don't know what Estonia or Russia is like in terms of how they treat the mentally ill probably is not i mean like i don't know it's maybe it's not that far off who knows but um it doesn't this this opening doesn't really paint a a very uh accurate depiction of how the vast majority of people who have mental illness how they suffer from it it is it's rough to watch but also it's a yeah it's a it's it's uh yeah you can't train uh, a mental patient like a dog but um, but I, you well, know, I think I mean, there least, is, there I, is I, operant <laughs> conditioning and there is classical conditioning. So then you did, mm-hmm. you know, you use like the, uh, Pavlov, Pav, Pavlov's dog. Pavlov's you know, dog so yeah. actually, yeah, but, uh, but I think them also like, even though it's again, yeah, not the best depiction, I think it also like kind of, 
uh, uh, breaks uh, any breaks yeah. the ice a little bit because then it makes way for like some of uh, the the language that we'll hear later as well. Um, so you know, kind of kind of has to just get it. I over. tend to be more forgiving than most when it comes to things like this. Like it's it's a horror movie. Like we're not expecting. Like I was like I was reading on Twitter the other day. Like somebody that I follow was watching Barbarian. And they immediately started to pick it apart, like, oh, nobody would go in the basement, or, oh, this is not how somebody would, you know, talk about an assault. And it's kind of like, you know, you kind of got to suspend, like, people also don't put on bat bat ears and a cape and beat up criminals in the streets, but we suspend our disbelief for a couple hours, you know, so we can enjoy ourselves, right? Um, mm-hmm. what is it you love about this opening scene? What is it about? How do, what makes this stand out to you? I mean, again, it's, uh, it's giving malignant and like very, like you could play these side by side almost like, and see, uh, the similarities, which like, you know, I think one, it sets uh good expectations. And I mean, and I didn't like think about it, uh, the first couple of times I noticed on this one that it is like a good, like 18 minutes. Uh, so it's like it's a it's a nice like little solid thing. It's not like we're just like doing like a quick little check in. Like we're really uh, taking this time to like get back to to see Esther and like the things that she can do, the skills that she has, um, and it's also to sell you on the effect again. Like it, that that very the very first scene uh, is where we get like a lot of the the camera switches to where you can see the double switching and and it gets you used to it because like it's a it's a little awkward. And like, it's, it's like watching a magic trick. Like, you, you know, it's not real, but like, okay, can we fool you enough? Can you buy in? And I feel like the, the opening scenes, uh, get you used to it. So that way the rest of the movie, you're not thinking about it and you're not, uh, sitting there distracted, you know, you're, you're just in it. You're like, mm-hmm. okay, we're, we're, we're doing this. This is, this is the feel. And, um, I just love the way that they uh, they set it up like, okay, let's get it out of the way now. Like, let's catch you up on the, the twist of the first one. And uh, to just like, again, let's get it out of the way. And uh, just the way that they talk about her. Uh, I, have a, I have a fascination with con people mm-hmm. in movies. Um, you know, the, the, they're, it's, like they're, it's like they're misguided superheroes, you know. It's like, man, if you would just put these skills... Uh, to, to good use, you know, you, you could be really doing something, but no, they're, they're super mm-hmm. villains ultimately. And this is like a super villain, just like breakout scene. And we like, again, we see her, her manipulation, we see her cunningness. And, uh, again, like the, the, when the dude is explaining, uh, to the, to the art teacher, uh, it, it gave like those John Wick vibes of like the way he's describing her and like, even like has similar lines about like these, the, uh, and it's again like my fascination with these characters that are just uh, empowered by sheer will like the, the idea that they are just like at the end of the day it's like these people they, they get mm-hmm. shit done because they just don't stop you know and like I yeah. love that so it's like uh, to uh, that that's always what kind of stuck out to me about Esther to begin with and getting to see her just like you know really sink back into it um, and you, you know you're seeing a different side of her because in Orphan we're seeing Esther as you know th- that presented Esther, but again this is uh, a, a different version. So yeah, I just I, I love this whole thing. It, it, it uh, reestablishes the tone and the look as well. That like again like it even has that like weird fuzzy uh, look that the 2009 one has as well. 
So yeah, I, I love everything it's, about this opening. It's sequence. also really perverse. Like there's that scene with the prison guard where he goes into her and mm-hmm. he presents her with a gift of like the new ribbons and it's played with this real kind of erotic flair. Like and you you it's very palpable how sexually charged and attracted he is to Esther. And there's a perversion to this, but at the same time, like you know, like you know they don't even offer the original twist like you know like you said from the get-go she's a 30 year old woman so legally there's mm-hmm. absolutely nothing wrong if he and her were to like consummate their relationship and it doesn't hurt that like you know obviously isabel Furman now even when she's made up like she looks like a young woman she doesn't look like a 11 year old yes. and that i think part of the joke of this movie or part of like why it works so well is they lean very heavily into her being presented as an eight or nine year old and it's so obvious she's not one um but also yeah and it, it in this scene too like because i've seen that you know people uh say it you know different ways of like you know saying like oh well this guy is obviously a pedophile and it's like well, no. What if he's into into some mm-hmm. role play like stuff? Like, I mean, it, even though, yeah, it is kind of odd to be into that, but right. people do like you know parenting role play stuff, and it's like kind of. I mean, in that the, and like the and, and, number and, and, one in the, the search on like a Pornhub is like you know mom and son and dad and daughter like it's like there's because it's like the last taboo that's left like we live in an age where it's really weird because in one hand like the current like i don't even it's a gen z at this point there is all all of these studies are anecdotal evidence it's saying that like gen z is having less sex than previous generations that it's like a more sexually purient and i would say that there is a certain uh puritanism to like sexuality right now among younger people and some of it is good some of it is like consent is a much bigger deal and setting boundaries is a much bigger deal but it also feels like along with that some of the judgments about people's sexualities or what they enjoy is coming into play as well but at the same time on the other hand other people were kind of letting our freak flags fly a little bit like things that were considered taboo or kink years ago and were more risque and not really openly discussed are kind of like much more out there and part of like the mainstream when it comes to like sexual mores and culture at this point. Um, So like the real last like taboo is like is incest, which is like pretty fucking disgusting. You know I mean? It's gross. It it definitely is. And again, like even like in the in the scene, the implications of it, like, you know, what you you know, it's like you 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 don't know what, you know, this guy's kinks or Mm -hmm. proclivities are, but like you know, the but the movie, like you said, is like is aware Mm -hmm. of it to a degree. because like uh do I do I think this scene is hot? No, uh because that guy is like giving just really weird reactions to it. Uh but whenever Esther uh slaps the shit out of Gunner uh, is that hot? Oh yeah, yeah. It still is because I know that again. Like this is an adult mm-hmm. woman, uh, but like you know, just even like the visual like dynamic of it is yeah. just very. Funny. I would, um, I would, so, yeah. I would argue that like the th- the scene with the security guard, the reason why he is so 
charged up is because of like the perversion that's there that you know why it's hinted that he's a pedophile is because she is presented as such a young girl like that is the attraction to him and or 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 is it also like the because again he knows that she's an adult and but they also know her mm-hmm. reputation but he's literally he knows how dangerous she is but he's willing yeah. to risk it that bad because he wants to yeah. you know to scratch that itch that bad uh, is also kind and of he pays the price i mean he definitely he's yeah. dispatched of very quickly uh which leads me to he fucked around he and he found out. He did not get to fuck around. He wanted to fuck around. No, yeah, he, he didn't. really wanted to fuck around. <laughs> uh, unfortunately for him, he found out before the fucking around bit came to be. Um, which leads me to discuss a brief discussion of Anna, the art therapist that we're introduced to, and we're meant to see like the first act from her point of view uh, as she starts her day at the asylum. And I figured that she was going to factor really heavily into the plot of the movie, since like those first ten minutes put such an emphasis on her, and also her reaction to what is going on around her and what i really like about this movie is it it basically she reacts the way i think any of us would you know you don't get your typical like stone-faced movie person who has like seen it all before no you have a woman who like looks takes one look at her surroundings and the job environment sees that two security guards are already dead and that she's going to be locked in with a bunch of murderers and is like, Nope, I am piecing out of here. She's like, this job is not for me. And she like runs to her car. Um, but she does the stupid thing in that, like when she sees Esther standing outside of the car, yeah, I will st- for whatever reason, mm-hmm. gets out to go like to go check on oh, yeah. her. Yeah, uh, dumb, dumb move. And and I like the nice bait and switch with her character. Like again, like yeah, like you kind of think that this is gonna be our uh, surrogate audience protagonist. Like obviously she's gonna be empathetic and we can like see through her eyes and all these things. Um, but you know, then you know we have the uh, of Esther using her to escape, and then uh, basically you know takes the you know, protagonist role from her because, you know, that is what Esther does. She, she takes mm-hmm. people's identities and roles. Yeah. Uh, so she literally goes, no, no, no. Uh, actually I'm the protagonist of this movie because in the first one, you know, uh, um, Vera Farmiga is, you know, more the protagonist, even though Esther is, you know, featured, uh, prominently, but it's still, you know, Vera's the protagonist in here. Uh, we, uh, literally steals the movie yeah. away from her and, and then drives yeah. away. There's also, to me, when you watch the, the, how the scene plays out, they give Esther a lot of the stylings of, say, Hannibal Lecter, especially as portrayed by Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. I think visually you see this when Esther like strikes Anna with a hammer, like the way the blows come down seem very reminiscent of the way uh, Lecter kills the security guard in his cage in Silence of the Lambs. Uh, when he hits him with the baton, but also like the blood spl- splatter, like Lester is wearing all white, Esther is in all white, and like the way the blood splatters on both of them, like it's visually very arresting and it's very reminiscent to the way Lecter is presented. But also in that, and I think you, like you had said, they kind of make her a supervillain in some ways in that not only is Esther's superpower that she can blend in as a, a child and she can navigate areas that 
only children get to and people don't assume that she's dangerous because of it but she's also incredibly intelligent like she's a prodigy at the piano she's a uh, brilliant artist like she's incredibly intelligent so behind all of the psychosis there's like an absolute brilliant mad genius as well um it and think like, because again, we don't, you know, we we don't know why she was locked up in the institute to begin with. Uh, you know, we get like some hints and pieces of some mm-hmm. backstory stuff, but it's like again, like you know, okay, well, what if maybe you know you see you know this per- this brilliant person, you know, they put her into this uh, into this uh, institution rather than being like, okay, well, like what are like you know ways to help you know rehabilitate her in a different fashion. So again, it was like how I was saying earlier, like, you know, it's like, you you got all these skills and if only you put them in a different direction, like, you know, but like, but this is what she does though. You know, she is a, just like complete evil mastermind, uh, mastermind manipulator. And I, I love the way that, her violence is presented to because it's always uh, very cold and sterile because she doesn't care about mm-hmm. the killing. Uh, that doesn't really do anything for her. Killing is just a necessity uh, to, to further the plan. Like, okay, if I have to kill this person, like I, I, I'll mm-hmm. deal with it, but she doesn't really want to, she doesn't seek out violence and, uh, and like doesn't and the, and the blood spray just like doesn't phase her. Like it's killing is so just like yeah. whatever to her. Uh, so it's like a, just, you know, the, the little nuances uh, that tell you so much about the, the way that she yeah, thinks. Just a means to an end more than, unless she's really yeah. angry and then she will kind of, I, you know, if she's cornered, you know, if she, if it feels like if she's in any danger, yeah. she'll kill without yeah. any hesitation whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, you know, the, oh, the other thing that struck me is like the way she's able to manipulate Persons like she's able to manipulate the patient at the Sarn Institute, where she has trained her to basically attack someone on command for a piece of candy. Similar to how Lecter, when he's locked up, is, is basically able to talk Megs into choking to death by swallowing his own tongue. Like he's able, she is able to manipulate people in such a way. Oh yeah, like again, it's like like two like super power abilities, mm-hmm. you know the like the uh, how meticulous everything that she does is, and like you know the like that whole thing, like and then uh, you know using using the the art teacher, like you know you could tell that she was already planning this for like mm-hmm. a while. I was like, aha, new art teacher, yep. boom, this is uh, I'm a, this is yeah. my shot, and uh, and I, I really yeah. uh, love that. So. The, the scene shifts from Estonia to Darien, Connecticut. And folks, I just kind of made a quick note here. If you ever need a shortcut for these characters or one percenters, just include the following details. A, someone in the families is fencing because like that is like the most one, maybe aside from like cricket, perhaps like the one percenter of, of all sports. Like, oh no, not cricket, polo. Like besides that or fox hunting, you know, fencing is where it's at. If you're like super duper rich, Um, put it in places like Darien, Connecticut, like in another life. I used to have to travel through this area a lot to help design like very high end, like theater and security and lighting systems for my clients. And I remember like walking through a house in Darien that we had to walk through the indoor soccer field to get to the elevator to take us to the um, 
media room. Like that was in a home, not a building, not an apartment building, not a condo. It was a dude's home with an indoor soccer court and an elevator that just went to the media room. Like these are the richy richest of the people. Um, have a character, their occupation is going to be philanthropist because it's like, we have so much money. We can just give shit away. Like that is your occupation. Um, then cast someone who looks like Matthew Finland, because this guy has a white man needs to get punched in the face. So fucking hard. Look to him. Like Gunner just looks like he needs to be punched. And, and, and name him oh, Gunner. Yeah. And then that's the, the, yeah. the, the cherry on top. Like, yeah, everything yeah. about, yeah. Uh, as soon as I go, I go yeah. really fencing. Uh, and I, I like the, the, the false hope that it gave me that I was like, I was like, are we going to get Esther fencing this kid? And then uh, no. we don't, which leads to a good comedic uh, moment. But I was kind of excited at the idea of Esther. I fencing. don't know what Matthew Finland looks like outside of playing the role of Gunner. So this is not meant to disrespect him. But Gunner looks like if Ichabod Crane discovered like high, you know, HIIT exercise. Like he's got a little bit more of like a, a, a physique to him overall, but facially like he would make, if you ever reboot the legend of sleepy hollow, like this is your perfect Ichabod crane right here. Yeah. Or it looks like a, like a, a young Oxford version of Jim Carrey. Oh. Just like, it's like, it just has a, uh, something about, yeah. Something about that face, man. Mm -hmm. It's very sharp and I don't, I don't mm -hmm. like it. So, what I did like, like rewatching this movie, like once you know the trick this movie is going to play and you go watch and everything that leads up to it, it's great seeing how like there's all these like subtle hints that Trisha, uh, the mother of the family, played by Julia Stiles, that she knows that like Lena slash Esther is not her daughter. Like on the plane, she is definitely coaching her by going through all the pictures on the phone and going, this is your father, his name is this, and this is what he does, and this is your brother, and this is your grandmother, and she was really good to us. And then when Esther's like, oh, I can't wait to see her, she's like, no, Mup Mup is dead. Don't you remember? Like, Trisha knows, because obviously Trisha knows because she helped cover up, you know, the crime, Um but she's like, all right, I, you know, when you know that, it's funny watching these scenes play out and watching her kind of culture, which is pretty great. Oh, yeah. Like her Julia Stiles, like just her facial expressions, like just, yeah, are completely different. Like when you watch this the second time, uh, because it's like, yeah, like because because she she hides it a little bit better because like as soon as Gunner like uh his reaction I was like okay they they know what's up but like she she sells it really well for this airplane scene uh for this first time watch to work mm -hmm. in that way to like really be like no 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 like this all makes sense like hey like oh like things have changed right. like just so you're not like shocked you know here yeah. you go here's the information um you know but uh but yeah then the second time you're just like God damn, like she's like on the fly, like already, like, you know, working like, you know, is because I was like wondering, like, oh, why is only why is she the only one going, you know, and like all these things. Uh, so. So, yeah, the, the second time around is uh, such a different experience. And so fun. Yeah. it is a hell of a long con by Esther as well. Like she is fully committed to integrating herself into this family um, I 
you know, like the first orphan, Esther is definitely like sexually attracted to John, the father. Like you get that whole creepy scene in the third act where she like dolls herself up, like throws on a dress and is like, there's definitely a lot of seduction. And if you listen to our first episode, we talk about how the original script, there was a lot more overt sexuality in that scene as it was originally written, which considering that Furman was only 11 when that movie uh, was filmed, like yikes, I don't, think i want to know what was supposed to be more overt here it does seem like it's a lot more of like a daddy daughter type relationship like it doesn't seem as oh. charged oh 100 like there's you know there's there's i mean it's charged on her end still like i, I think to a degree that it, like it is because i think because like because she gets called mm -hmm. out, you know, later on about the long con. Like, you know, you could have just robbed us and like left, like, but no, you stuck around. It's like because one, she sees like you know the the she's like that's how uh, uh, egotistical Esther is that she's like no, I can pull this off for like a while and just like coast off of this. And but two, because she's a she's a woman mm -hmm. with needs and she needs a daddy. Uh, and you know, so like, yeah, it, like for, for him, it's, you know, 100% daddy daughter, uh, shout out to the dad in this movie, just a, a sad mm -hmm. man, uh, just wanting his daughter, uh, a, a rare good guy, like through and through in this movie. So uh shout out to daddy, but, uh, but yeah, so it's like, you know, I, I think part of it is like, it's her, it's her ego that drives this long con, but it's like, uh, it's also like, no, no, no. Like I, I, I got needs mm -hmm. too, you know? So like eventually I'm just gonna, uh, we're, we're we'll make the transition. Don't worry about it. You know? But like, she's like, I'll, I'll, I'll figure See, it out. I <laughs> got less of that. And there is some of it. You're right. Cause there's that scene where she's like, just like, you don't get the borking like you don't have like Verifamesia bent over the kitchen island like you do in Orphan but you do have like Julia Styles like doing a down the pants handy at one point and yum, yes yum. and then Esther like peering on disapprovingly from the closet at that and then ripping the dress in anger but I got mm -hmm. well we and, well we and we see the 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 little glimpse of it like right before too because that was when she like put the the charcoal on her on her lips after true that is true yeah that is true so yeah. um and you get the explanation of like how she got into like the backlit uh hidden reveal paintings as well like because that's one of the best reveals of the first movie like when the lights go out yeah and you yeah. not only get like all like the murderous pictures but you get the a recap of the you get movie. It, you basically get the a, re, a, a graphic novel recap of the movie, but also you have like the like heavy metal style like full grown Esther being embraced from behind by John as well. So you get the origins of where she learned this, which I thought was pretty clever as well. Uh, where she uh, yeah and got 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 her theatricality, mm -hmm. you know. What do you think of, and by the way, like Donan is like one, because you have a detective who keeps showing up, um, and I don't know why, because the case is solved. Like, dude, you, you solved it. Just move on. You know, everybody is happy. Everybody is reunited. And this guy, like, not only shows up, but he's also, like, stealing from the home in order to determine whether or not 
this is actually Esther. Like, that is way more dedication than you typically get from the police. Well, I mean, because I don't think, because I don't know, because I, I think it, it, his, the detective is is murky mm-hmm. because, yeah, he did, like, you know, solve the case, but I think... I think he is using it to uh, kind of to 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 goad uh, Julia Stiles out. I think he was still suspicious, you know, from the original disappearance. Like, I don't think he mm. thought it was a disappearance. I think he might have thought it was a murder from okay. the get go, but wasn't able to prove it. And then so now, uh, you know, you know, finding Esther um, is, you know, OK, like, OK, so like maybe i did i I don't know if this is esther or not but i'm gonna roll with this to see you know what new information is gonna possibly come out i was not thinking that yeah i think he yeah he was he was skeptical Mm -hmm. i think uh i I wish i would have uh paused to to check out like the newspaper clippings um because i feel like maybe there might be like a little clue in there but yeah i think he I think he was. That makes a lot more sense to me. That makes a lot more sense. And if you you haven't seen Orphan yet, this is where we're going to spoil the big reveal if we haven't really done it already. What do you make of this twist? Because I think it is a diabolical one. And it's not quite as shocking as the reveal from the original Orphan, but I don't think anything could be. But knowing that, you know... Julia Stiles' mother, uh, character of the mother, uh, Trisha and uh, Gunner, both know that uh, Lena is not their daughter, Esther, because Gunner killed, quote-unquote, accidentally Esther four years ago, and then Trisha covered it up, uh, is really brilliant. Yeah, so there's there's a few reasons why this, this twist is very brilliant. Uh, because I mean, yeah, like we we already got it out of the way at the beginning, the the twist from original Orphan. So it's like, okay, uh, what are we gonna do? And the movie, uh, you know, the the first brilliant part is the pacing of it. This comes at the absolute mm-hmm. perfect time because this is the part of the movie where you're thinking, okay, so this is like we're settling into this is gonna be another uh, Esther torment a family fun romp. Uh, and we're going to get kind of the same stuff going on. You've kind of settled into that point. So then you're like, all right, like, um, you, you, so your guard's down. Uh, so they, they drew it out for just the perfect amount of time. Um, I had, like, I didn't think about it at all. I, like, I was shocked. Um, I was just like, holy shit. Like, the, the way that it's delivered by Don and, like, as he's dying, like, oh, no, she knows now, kid. And uh, it's just, like, it, it's so good. Yeah. And, 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 and it, it just recontextualizes like the, like, okay, so like we are getting some fresh, this is different. And, and I find it fascinating because we were kind of, uh, on different ends. You, you don't think that it was an accident that Gunner and the, that killed, uh, original Esther. I think it was, but I think either way, to, no matter which way we look at it, that it's still evil what mm-hmm. they did. Like in because co- in my eyes, I feel like covering it up is even more evil mm-hmm. than if they actually if it like Gunner did kill her on yep. purpose. Like I think it was because there's a there's a scene later that it, that really makes me think that it was an accident uh, in the finale whenever. Uh, whenever Gunner pushes her down the stairs and he has this look on her on his face and it like looks like it like re-traumatizes him to like what happened but he doesn't 
push her like he throws her down those stairs well he does but and but their plan was supposed to be to to make her look like she committed Mm -hmm. suicide and then he like pushed her down the stairs and he's like oh shit and it's like one i think i just killed her but like it but like and she like has to like tell him like snap out of it because like looks like it like took him Mm -hmm. back to like Okay. However, it happened with original Esther. So I think original Esther was an accident. But I, again, I think the covering up and the lying is even more evil than if it was right. intentional. You know, and she, you know, Ju- Trisha says she's doing it because um, John, her husband, took the death so hard and he hasn't been himself that anything that she could do to bring John back um would be worth it for her. It doesn't really matter what it is. Like she'll pay any price to have her husband back. Um, but I don't know. Like, it seems like a pretty high price to pay. Because, you know, she, she is so similar to Esther that like, you know, I don't think that she is convinced that like, okay, like, I don't know how long I'm going to have to do this for, but like, I'm going to figure it out. Like, this isn't a permanent thing. Like, that's what she's thinking. But like, again, uh, she, uh, I think this is where Esther like kind of, uh, you know, cause I think Esther is a planner, but then, but Esther makes mistakes mm-hmm. because like when something, the plan changes, Esther can adjust. This is where she, uh, Esther learns to like improv, uh, and to like kind of, you know, do things on the fly a little bit more and like, okay, like I got to take the situation, situations change now, you know, what do I do? And that's like, this is where she like, kind of like learns like that extra level of like cunningness, uh, to her to where, um, you know, Trisha, like this is this like little tiny section is like kind of my favorite part where we kind of have this like apprentice protege moment of Trisha, like kind of basically training Esther, you know, and like showing her some Mm -hmm. tricks and like, okay, like, like, Uh, Let me see what you got. And I'll, you know, basically making her a better con person, which I think is amazing. Um, I, I, my theory is uh, because yes, uh, Trisha is just like pretty much a full-time philanthropist now, but uh, my theory is she feels like she was like a, um, a political fixer in her like previous life before uh, she married and like didn't have to work anymore. I feel like that would have been like kind of her area and so, yeah, yeah. kind of get this like little training montage a little bit, uh, which is super fun. I really love the the line of, well, you can paint. What else can you do? And they like show they like set her up to like, you know, put on this show for the people and explaining like how to manipulate people's emotions and like, you know, like uh, pr- how to present to really uh, sell the story. You know, like I think this is also where Esther learns to like really commit to uh, being like you know taking an identity mm-hmm. like not just making it a character but like you know and that's why why we keep calling her esther like she's not no. lena to me she's esther it, it's almost and, and there's something kind of trans about it um but i'm not the one to speak on that but 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 there but i, I get queer vibes sure. in that way uh in this like you know like adopting like you know like she goes you know what i actually kind of like this esther mm-hmm. identity like you know i like esther style a little bit because she continues on with the dresses right. and the ribbons well even you know later I mean, on and even though it's movie. within the same gender it is there's definitely a fluidity there and there's definitely different expectations there are you know you're taking on characteristics that might not necessarily feel natural or ingrained in you but 
it becomes almost freeing in a way. It becomes almost yeah. Or it's drag. Yeah. Oh my god, no. Or okay. it's drag. Either way, it, it could be either sure. one. I I, I I I like looking at it either way because again, that's how I look at malignant. Mm-hmm. I I I say that um because I I say Gabriel is not trans, but I say Gabriel is okay. a drag. Uh, that he does drag. Uh, that's my, because you know that's they are two separate mm-hmm. identities, you know, two different people. But um, uh, so yeah, again, more and more uh, okay. and orphan parallels. I okay, I can I can definitely accept that as a reading of this. I can definitely see where those vibes would come in. Um, what you do get here is a. I was getting more less like mentor and protege. And more like whatever happened to baby Jane vibes where like Esther is absolutely trapped now. Like before, before Trisha revealed her card, knowing that I know who you are. And when they were all kind of like hiding in plain sight from one another, now that Trisha knows, like Trisha reveals that she has a lot more skin in the game than initially thought. Like it's not just about keeping her daughter getting her daughter back and preserving the family. But now there are all these other layers of subterfuge going on. And if like, if, if Lena slash Esther was to just like pick up stakes and blow town again, um, a, that would send John spiraling. It would dissolve her family. But if anything else happens, if it somehow comes to light that this is not, uh, Esther is not who she claims to be and that Trisha and Gunner knew well now they're on the hook like where is the body of that you know original nine-year-old girl so it now becomes yeah. like you are now my prisoner and you are gonna have to do like there's like no freedom of movement there's no freedom of thought it's like nope I'm gonna keep my eyes on you at all times at every moment so that uh, you don't blow our cover Oh yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, it's that too, but but like it, it does kind of start off for a minute as like because that's the, even the way that she sells the test. Or like this can be a mutually beneficial, you know, uh, situation. Like not only, uh, again, like kind of an Esther getting, um, you know, to be in this situation, but like you know, like hey, I'm still gonna teach mm-hmm. you some things, kid. Um, there, so it, it felt like that for a minute, but then again, like you know, um. Trisha is she allows her plan to like it changes it's always changing so then she's kind of more like okay like the the because she's always thinking about the narrative of it like she goes she goes well that wouldn't look good on us if Esther disappears Mm -hmm. twice you know like so it's not even uh you know like she's not even worried about people thinking of you know uh, them killing Esther. She's like, oh, like we gonna look like we're terrible parents that like lose a child twice, <laughs> you know. Like, and Good I point. think that is again even more sinister. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, thinking uh in their way. So that's a good yeah, point. It's, uh, like like Julia Styles, like she's like she's a cold bitch in this. Like she she is. That's exactly. I was the, the word I was gonna use was she's so transactional. Like basically, yes, she. Yes will keep Lena around until it's not worth keeping her around anymore. And you see that like she hits that point pretty quickly where there's the whole scene where she tries to poison Esther at the dinner table uh, with her mac and cheese. And that leads to Esther giving her like a dead rat uh, and kale smoothie uh, in the next scene. And you can see how the two of them are basically going to do spy versus spy at this point. 
Um, oh, 100%. You know, and you get these wonderful moments, including uh, at the at, at the uh, subway station or at the train station where Esther steals the SUV and you have like the great visual of her flipping off Julia Stiles, like lighting a marble red and then just like driving off. Um, I love that. It's just such a great image. Absolutely adore it. I remember because uh, I, I of course live tweeted this the first mm-hmm. time I watched it. Thank goodness I did. Um, it, it's 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 a. I'm really getting good at um, my live tweets being like vague enough to where you can like follow mm-hmm. along and I'm not spoiling anything. Um, but this moment, I was just like, we are literally having a camp cigarette break um, to go f- like because like I love that this movie does take like the tone of the original. Uh, but like is like, hey, we're gonna lean into the cheekiness like even a little bit more. Like we're gonna kind of because the the first one uh, isn't like funny and like like the like this one is. You know, like it has its moments, but really it's like kind of um, played a little more serious. So I like that this one is allowing itself mm-hmm. to have fun. Then this is the moment where it's just like, you know, let's just really full send it like for a mo just for a moment and. Um, Apparently they had a different song choice, but then Isabel Furman suggested like, no, we're, we got to do maniac. Mm-hmm. Like we if fully lean into it. Like, like there's no other song we could play right now. And then, so then they changed well, it. I, I think you're right. The first one does become a bit of a camp classic because again, that whole, because it does lean hard into the premise of it. And when you lean that hard into something so absurd, it, it can only become camp at that point this one i it works so well because it knows how ludicrous it is to even try to attempt something like this like let's take our main character from the first movie almost a decade and a half later uh, and we're not going to do anything to like de-age or using digital tools everything is going to be done via force perspective, via makeup choices, via positioning. Um, we'll have some child stand-ins at points as well when we need it to really work, but it leans so heavy into how silly it is to even try to do this and then just builds on it from there throughout the movie. I mean, you get like lines from like when Gunner delivers the line, um, people like me or what matter people like me matter and it's just like oh my god you little shit weasel i just want to punch you so hard the cat and mouse games and it's just so wonderful how everybody knows exactly what kind of movie they're in it's it's melodrama is really what this is it's a great melodrama even more than a horror movie oh yeah i mean it it it's like because it, it does get to the camp in at the end of the first storefront, but it's like again, like it doesn't happen till the end, and you don't really and it, and it comes in a nice way that like the whole movie is serious, and then it feels like it you have this like release at the end of that mm-hmm. movie to like you know, but then it's like, but then you're like, damn, I kind of wish we were getting more of this through the rest of the movie. At least that's the way I felt about it. I was like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. I kind of wanted the rest of it to be more like this, and then mm-hmm. this is that. Like, okay, now we get to now that it's all out there. Um, we get to really just like enjoy it and have fun. And like I said at the beginning, it's like it's kind of like a magic trick. Like you, you know, like the you can see the camera things that they're doing. Like it's not like it's a secret, but the but the you know the name of the game with Esther and this movie is commitment. Yeah. Like you just gotta fully commit to the bit. And it, even so, it's like even if you can like tell what's going on, 
it, it still sells it enough. I think you know? what they're saying here is like, if you have decided to spend two hours of your day with us, like you've made a conscious choice to watch this movie. So therefore, like, we're just going to do what we do. Like, we don't have to trick you or fool you at this point. Like, we're just going to do what we do. And to be honest, it's probably less distracting to have Isabel Furman just act like herself uh, and not like, I'm sorry, just appear like herself. Like just we'll use makeup and we'll use costuming and we'll like film in a certain way. We're going to do our damn yeah. best, but like, you know, at the end of it's, the day, you know, because, we know, and let's just but have think fun, about like know. when they've done de-aging with CGI in movies like it chapter two with the, with the Irishman, like that is actually more distracting at this point than it is than it is not. So, what do we make of this final act, the big chase? You get Gunner and you get Gunner and and Esther facing off first, and Gunner goes down like the little bitch that he is very quickly, which I love. I mean, yeah, I, I like the the segue that it goes from because, like you said, it's like we go from like this, like you know, a uh, little power play back and forth, uh, going at each other, which was you know fun. And again, kind of wish we got a little bit more of that because that was I could I could watch them do petty shit mm-hmm. to each other back and forth all day. Um, but then and then like you said, like and then like Esther's about to try and kill him at the train station, and basically like from it goes train station, then that driving sequence, and then they're back at the house. So it's like a kind of like a broken up chase, uh, extended chase scene, like from the train sta- station to mm-hmm. the house. And uh, it, I think one of the, the, I think my biggest laugh of the movie is though uh, the uh, Gunner whenever he when he's about to go look for Esther and of course he puts on he grabs his fencing thing and puts on the mask and then he shakes his head and tosses the mask off like no that's right. stupid uh, I think that is the funniest gag of the entire movie it makes me laugh every single time like of him like doing it thinking about it and being like no that, okay like I I want to do this mm-hmm. but I can't like it's still it's too a step dumb. too far uh, so that I love that yep. moment. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, this this whole thing is is, is super. I think it's fun. It it it, it could have used a little more oomph, uh, but at the same time, I like that. You know, we're back at the house. You know, using up the rest of the house porn. We're gonna lie down fire and uh, uh, the and I'll say the the CGI fire is definitely the the most egregious sure. thing in this entire movie, unfortunately. But hey, what are you gonna do? But um, the 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 whole the that again they're gonna like set it up that like basically this is where Trisha's like okay we've had enough like we're not gonna be able to keep this up so let's go ahead and stage it that our 11 year old daughter committed suicide Mm -hmm. and it's like what you guys are diabolical um to even just like think about that it's insane but they mean it's probably the easiest thing. I mean, you could say that she's been through such a trauma. I mean, it's like basically, yeah. you know, what this movie glosses over and very quickly is that the story they're using is that their daughter was kidnapped by sex traffickers in Russia and has now been returned after like four years of serving as a sex slave as a pre-adolescent. Like that is some... Well, did they ever? I, I feel like a lot of people have been assuming that the movie never mentioned I, any of that. There's like the joke by Gunner's friend, 
But that's because because there's even a line where Esther's talking to Daddy and and he's at trying to ask questions and then she goes, No, it wasn't like that. Like like she kind of shuts down okay. like no, I was not like in a in a sense. Maybe I'm assuming like, that. But well, like but she but there is still the right. trauma of being kidnapped and getting because they no, they said it was a uh the they told the detective that it was a uh that they thought a Russian woman uh, kidnapped her, mm-hmm. took her to Russia, and had uh, forced her to assume the identity of a, a child. Say, either way, it's like four years in the gulag, you know? It's still, still not good. Sti- yeah. Still not good. Oh, yeah. So sti- you could see that. Yeah. It, still glossing over the trauma, but again, like it was like Julia Stiles said, like she's like, you know, people want a happy True. ending. Like they're, 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 they are going to, they, they would much rather see, you know, champion Esther and like, you know, like strong I Esther mean, rather even than. Even the psychiatrist is like really like, the psychiatrist is yeah. she's brushing over a lot. Like I don't know, she really is. I mean, I know that. I think I think the only reason is because like um, they said that, like this is the same psychi- family psychiatrist mm-hmm. they've had. Like you know, so she I think just has this connection to the family, and of course, family probably pays her real good. Uh, so I think uh, she was uh, doing her best to uh, suspend disbelief because, yeah. like, if anybody was going to mm-hmm. catch it, it should right. have been the psychiatrist. I, I wonder, like, so I'm thinking of what the the ACA code of ethics is, and I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like, do I have to legally report if I suspect that someone posing as a couple's child is not actually that child? Like, do I have to? I have to report abuse. I have to report neglect. But I'm trying to think what that might fall under in either of those things. Like, is this person hurting anyone? Are they hurting themselves? So they have a plan. Do I know of a plan? I mean, she. Hmm. I mean, she was. I mean, she was suspicious. But then that was also, you know, one of the other shows that they had mm-hmm. to put on was okay. We gotta go. The the psychiatrist was a little suspicious. Mm-hmm. We gotta get her. We gotta convince her some more. So like feeds her like that entire story about the vacations True. and everything so like yeah like i mean they 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 cover their like uh trisha teaches esther again also they cover, cover your bases. bases cover all your bases you know and you <laughs> you do get a really sad ending in that john after watching his after reuniting <laughs> with his family only to watch like his beloved wife plummet to her death and smash her head on the stones below you get his m- brief moments of pure horror when he sees that this is not his daughter mm-hmm. and then plummets to his death right next to his wife where his skull bursts like a grapefruit, basically, on the rocks below. Like it is, It's heartbreaking. And I'm laughing, but... No, it's it's like it, it's very melodramatic. It also like has like I mean it just yeah feels like cliche like off the top of a burning building like kind of ending. Uh, I feel like they're like kind of riffing on that a little bit because like basically like there's a point where it's like he's like first having to choose between mm-hmm. them, which is like you know the everybody's worst nightmare scenario, and then and then yeah like you know the 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 like last thing that he like learns before his death is like that like it wasn't his yeah. daughter like his his whole everything just crumbles in five seconds mm-hmm. and then explodes on the ground like it's uh it's it, it's i again shout out to daddy uh he had a, a poor tragic deserved man better uh just deserved none of no. this he deserved none of this whatsoever um so finally 
Does this make you want more Esther? Do you want a third movie? Oh, yes, it does. I I mean, we, we got to have a third uh, Esther movie. We have to. Uh, my idea, I had one, is a uh, prequel prequel. Uh, I want to know how she gets into the Institute. We mm-hmm. know that she also brutally killed the other art teacher that underestimated her. So it's like we get... Uh, there's a lot of uh, vague... Uh, clues that I think again I feel like that was such a big mm-hmm. purpose of those first like 15 minutes of like I'm like hey let's plant like some uh, little information nuggets that we can potentially work with if we're able to like do another one so I think they do a prequel prequel um, and we go back again because in a few years because uh, uh, Isabel Furman I uh, she's like 28 so if they make this movie and they release it in three years she will be 31, which is Esther's, and in, in this mm-hmm. movie is her actual age. So if they said it, like, if they did a movie that was set, like, nine months mm-hmm. before this. Just, if you keep um, going back prequel, and you prequel. make more and more and more prequels, eventually she's playing, like, a toddler, which would be She's the horror Benjamin incredible. Button. Uh, like I, I think, I, but again, but, but for real, though, I think a, I, I think a third one could work as... Uh, I mean, because she's she's dead at the end of Orphan One, so uh, we can maybe, only go back. Maybe, yeah. Well, yeah, yes, that's we could. We could, implied. we could, yes, we we could still possibly resurrect her, have her go back after Vera mm-hmm. Farmiga again to loose, uh, to uh, uh, tie up loose ends. I think that could be fun, like a, on the run, just like it's literally just Esther chasing Vera Farmiga like across the country. I mean, my uh, I think idea for an orphan sequel was to have at the end of orphan everybody would be dead except for max and max like the hearing impaired young woman would go on to be the orphan of the next movie like vera famesia would have been dead the husband's obviously dead the son would have been killed um and you just would have had max and she would have been like a killer orphan i I thought i okay well then that's what i would have been then would be esther uh chasing right. Max on the run. Not, that could not be a lot of fun. That could be a lot of fun. I think that could be fun or, oh. or the other way around or Max, uh, you know, they, they don't find Esther's body. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, she goes hunting for Esther. Uh, yeah, I, I need a third Esther movie. She deserves a Give trilogy and we'll um, be here to cover and it. I think, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Isabel Furman, I think has the commitment to it. And I think, uh, they've seen, you know, they've, um, uh, both uh, the director and mm-hmm. the writer have uh, been very active on social media, like interacting yeah. with people uh, and like, you know, loving the excitement mm-hmm. that people have gotten. And they're like kind of encouraging it. Like, hey, keep yeah. talking about this. So they're kind of doing that thing that they're like, hey, like, you know, we, we made a little bit of money for what release mm-hmm. it did get. And like, if we keep talking about it, guys, like it could And that's happen. the thing. It's like this movie, it should have been in theaters here. Like, again, when I look at the... We look at what happened with Disney in this. Just as we're recording this, we're a week out from Bob Iger. Bob Iger, like coming back as CEO, and like the choices, like that all of these streaming platforms are making. Like you look at what Disney released in the past few months. They did Disenchanted, Hocus Pocus two, and Turning Red. I think last year, all three of them go straight to Disney Plus, and they. That is probably at least a billion dollars between those three movies that was left on the table, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, 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 I just find it like still very surprising that – because, I mean, I get 
with some other movies, like I feel like comedy needs to like really just more follow this mold because I don't get why like nobody is like been like, hey, horror is like almost a surefire mm-hmm. box office like win, like almost always. Like I mean, like it has a really good batting average of being a very profitable genre in theaters specifically, like you know because it is. Again, like compared to also like the superhero movies, it's like those are movies that you want to see with mm-hmm. a crowd on a big screen. Like in like the, they are uh, their experience type movies. So it's like I can see like with uh, movies like like uh, don't put fucking uh, Damien Chazelle's new movie in theater. Uh, like that like that that could or uh, not not uh, not Babylon. Um, what's the other Christian Bale movie that I just came no out? Idea. Like why did that get? Oh, the one with like, why uh, did that David get a wide release? Yeah, why did that get a wide release? Right. You know that that could have been the 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 straight to streaming uh, mm-hmm. strategy versus horror. Like I I just don't. Well, you mentioned like, yeah between that between prey like like why you mentioned comedies and, and and you know like Disney will tout oh like Hocus Pocus two had more streaming minutes than anything we've ever. What does that mean though in terms of like making? You know what I mean? Like that if you who cares? Like if you already have these subscribers like. <laughs> You know, I can understand like putting it on your platform after it's in theaters, like which is what Paramount did with Smile. It's like, hey, if you want to stream Smile as much as you want and not pay for it every time, like give us five bucks a month or whatever, ten bucks a month or whatever, and you can watch it whenever you want. But like to not have stuff in theaters, like I don't know, like in every article I read, it's like, oh, you can't do. There hasn't been a good comedy that's been a massive hit in theaters for a long time. Mm-hmm. What you see is like... Since like, 20, since like 2013. Right. And there was a stretch of, of time where you had like the Apatow comedies. You had Superbad. You had the Wedding Crashers, 40-Year-Old Virgin. You had like the Friday movies. You had... Uh, I mean, like I'm, so many like great comedies that came out. So don't tell me that these can't be done you know and i know like a movie like book smart comes out and it doesn't perform like it should and it's like oh i guess these only go to streaming now it's like no like there's room for this stuff and what i read is things like well marvel movies just do all the genres and call it superhero so you get funny marvel movies like thor ragnarok and that's a comedy and it's like that's not the same thing that's not I mean... what i'm looking for I mean, yeah, they do subgenres in in a certain way, but like, no, it's still a, a superhero movie. Is still going to be a superhero movie, um, <clears throat> as far as those ones are concerned. But again, and, and and I find it fascinating because I said like around 2013, maybe you go back a little 2011. That's like kind of when like the the big studio theater comedies like started dying off. And that's around where I think is where horror started mm-hmm. resurging again back in the theaters. And, and maybe it's just a, a matter of, you know, the, the taste of the trends, you yeah. know, like what people wanted at that moment. Yeah. Like maybe people were tired of the comedy wave and, but we've still been doing this on this, like, you know, really successful horror wave for the past, our, like coming up on a good decade of like really solid our, lead performing. Our comedy is just harder to do now because we do find so many things like less acceptable now. Um, and I don't even know if it's that that's an awkward way. Cause I don't want to be like, Oh, it's too, we're too woke. Cause that's not what it is. But I think that we are culturally like a lot more 
we're less quick to dismiss things than we used to be. And I think we're also less quick to be able to laugh at ourselves than we used to be. Like, it feels like every position that we take is like we're putting a stake in the ground and there's no moving off of this position. And if we see something that doesn't quite, not even offends us, but doesn't quite sit right with us, then we get like vehemently angry and it becomes it becomes like a game to see who can feign the most outrage or display the most outrage over something that they might not care about otherwise. And I, I want to be clear, yeah. there's so, a difference between that and like punching down at marginalized people or making fun. of. Like yes. That's not what I'm referring to. I, I, I get what you mean. And actually, I do have a pre um, because I think. Because I think what the what it is with comedy is it is kind of I think that does play into it, um, but it's a it's but it's a it's a matter of execution like not like it's not like oh you can't talk about the certain things and like you can't do things like I think me and you we have similar comedy mm-hmm. sensibilities that I think like you can make a joke about anything as long as yeah. it's funny like as long as it's funny and it's not malicious like anything is still fair game to me. Um, and, but I think it's, there's still a risk though, because comedy is, you know, subjective. And like, if you don't deliver in a way that's going to, you know, appeal to a mass Mm -hmm. people, then it's a, it's scary to put yourself out there versus I think there's a little more wiggle room with horror to, you know, because I think horror movies have done, um, you know, I think especially in these past five years of kind of getting this, um, a really big outpour of, uh, you know, outwardly queer horror, uh, kind of trying to go back and like, you know, make up for, you know, some of the, the way that they were presented in horror, you know, in decades past. They're like, okay, let's try to reapproach these things and do them in a better right. fashion. And it's still risky and it's still scary to do, but I think you have a little more wiggle room with horror because it's a little bit more of a, uh, universal experience mm-hmm. of like, you know, being scared versus, yeah. you know, um, and it, you know what people find and it fun. allows for so, a lot yeah, more surrealism as well like it horror is, a, is able to exactly. deal in metaphors in a way that other genres aren't necessarily no able rules to do, baby yeah. so all right well that was kind of a bit of a diversion as we wrap our talk up on orphan first kill and again like it's another episode where i'm like yeah we'll be out of here in an hour and you know we never can't go less than 90 it seems like so Oh no, she and she deserves every she minute of it. Uh, you know, I I think the yeah, like the I think the the moral of the story is like again, like you know, taking risks, you know, yeah. pay off. Like because I I think this was like you know in, in you know in the grand scheme of it, it's still a pretty big risk. Like thirteen year later, uh, nobody you know people wanted a sequel at that point, but it's like kind of like maybe the interest mm-hmm. kind of had waned at some point. Um, so it's like, yeah, you are taking like something that is, you know, recognizable, but still like not like a super recognizable one. So it was like, uh, you know, taking risks can pay off, especially if you're going to, you know, really put in the work to, to, to execute it, you know, in a in a fun and clever way. And I think that's what this film does. It's like, you know, like they they could have done, like you said, they could have done the, the simple sequel route, copy and paste job. Um, we could have gotten, you know, a prequel with too much information and callbacks to the previous film um, that, like, you know, kind of ruins the mystique. Like, because that's what I love about this one, too. Like, we get just enough callbacks and, like, inform- like and just enough callbacks to the previous film of, like, okay, hey, this is how she learned this. 
this is how she does this and like these things but there's still so much i want to learn about Mm -hmm. her and like there's still so much more to know so it's like uh they 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 could have done uh, uh, there, there were a lot of way easier ways they could have executed this film, but they chose yeah. not to. They put the care and work into it, and it uh, paid off tremendously. Um, all right, and I think that's a great final word there because I agree with everything you've just said. So, Devon, what do you have coming? It's the Spectral Cinema Club now, right? It's no longer the Bloody Blunts show. It is Spectre. Spectre. I got Spectre. it right the first time. So. Yeah. Got it right in the intro, but not here. Figure out Bat 500. So what is going on with the Spectre Cinema Club? And tell us a little, what is that show? What is that all about? Yeah, uh, this is uh, the podcast I do weekly with my buddy Garrett McDowell, and uh, we break down subgenres within the horror. So like every month we have a different theme. Uh, sometimes we do franchises, but um, but basically a different theme and uh, try to, you know, find the recurring motifs and elements that like kind of make those subgenres work. And uh, we um, are wrapping up the year kind of on a lighter note. We uh, did uh, cannibal movies for November and then uh, for December, we're doing a uh, Disney channel originals, mm. uh, you know, to kind of get some uh, family vibes, family friendly vibes for a little bit to, to close out the year. But then um, uh, 2023 schedule is looking really fun. So uh, I'm excited to to get into that more. Um, we release episodes every Tuesday on all the podcast platforms, on social media at Spectre Cinema, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And uh, you can find me on uh, all those same things at underscore Daddy Disco. And uh, follow me on Letterboxd. I've watched a lot of movies this year. I'm uh, I'm excited for my end of the year wrap up. Uh, this is uh, I love December cram month of. You know, yep. catching up on all the uh, the 2022 horror, and uh, we're gonna do like January. We're gonna spend the entire month doing like best of 2022. Well, you can get our whole back catalog if you visit our site podandthependulum.com. It's really laid out really nicely, like nice giant posters. You can find all like 160 previous episodes to this. Uh, you can follow us over on Twitter for now at Pod and Pendulum. Uh, over on Twitter. You can find me at Twitter at Mike underscore Snoonian. I'm kind of moving off of that platform as I think a lot of folks are right now. Uh, if you want to follow us over at Hive, just go to Hive and look for Mike Chump Change. Find us on Instagram at Mike underscore Snoonian. And we are sitting on like 99 reviews. So we need another review to get to 100. So please, if you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe to us. Give us five stars and a few kind words about why you like this show. Uh, that goes a long way to new listeners finding us. It helps us you know, move up the algorithm a little bit. Huge thank you to all our listeners because like, it's the show keeps growing. Like Even three years in, we're starting to hit some milestones with each new episode that I didn't anticipate us ever hitting. So we really do appreciate like you supporting us, whether it's retweeting the shows, listening, telling folks, leaving reviews. That means a lot to us. So we have a pretty stacked 20 end of 2022, uh, 2023 coming up. So with December, the plan is to tackle the first two Phantasm movies by the end of the year and then hopefully wrap up uh, all five movies by the end of January. 
in between that, like if you listen to our mini episode that dropped on Thanksgiving, our gratitude show, I would like to continue to do little shows like that at least once a month. So the weeks that we don't have a large episode dropping, we could drop in something a little bit smaller, you know, 30 to 40 minutes of like shooting the shit. And it might be a uh, topic or it might also just be, here's what we're watching. Like here's either a bunch of modern horror movies or current horror movies we're watching or like here's one thing that we saw that we really want to talk about, but it's a standalone movie. So when else would we? Um, on top of that, we have a new kind of themed episode that we've been discussing, like the crew members, all seven of us right now, we've been talking a little bit about on the Slack. And it will be a lot of fun. Uh, I think we will unveil it closer to December. We'll tell everybody what it's going to be. And it, I'm not sure if it'll be here or if it will be on the relaunched Patreon page when that starts up in January. But there's a lot of reasons to listen. So we really appreciate you spending our, your time with us. We'll be back in no more than two weeks as we dive into 1979's batshit nightmare crazy still not 100% sure what it's about but I love it we're going to be tackling phantasm next folks and strap in I think it's going to be a very bumpy ride alright Devon we are out we appreciate you guys. Don't make me uh, come steal your identity to write that 100th review. I'll do you it. You know, go ahead. As long as, as long as it's like a one-star review, like, fuck Mike. Just like, what? So, all right. Have a good one, everybody.